want to go right into uh, this series that the Lord's put on my heart. The power of His Word, the weight of the Word of God. It is um, really the key to a believer's life is His Word. And I was just meditating on this idea that we live in a fallen world. We live, as I just explained, in a world of time, in a world that is coming and going. And it's that time entered this world, as did something else called sin with Adam and Eve. And we live in a system that is worldly. And a lot of times I say that, and maybe just to clarify what I mean, what is the world? Well, in 1 John 2, 15, it says, Do not love this world, nor the things it, the world, offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world, as we just said, as time is, in verse 17, this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. Just as time is passing, so is the things that we crave. Those things are passing away. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And we are in such a pivotal time in history. Maybe every pastor in each generation says that. But I truly believe that this time, as I said last week, a time where we have unlimited resources at our fingertips. God has given at, uh, for um, 2,000 years, the Bible has been preserved. It was preserved in different ways. First, it was in a single scroll, and then it finally made it to a book, and then it was in one language, and you had to interpret it. And finally today, it's on our phones and our pockets with commentaries and you name it. I mean, unlimited information. Unlimited. And I, I proposed the question last week, will God look at us as he did with the talents one had 10, one had five, one had one. Is he going to look at us as he did those men and say, you had so much and you did so little with what you had? I don't want him to say that. I want him to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And because we are living in this fallen world where everything the world is looking to, everything is is about me, myself, and I. And meanwhile, we are in that system, but with all of this ability to be out of it. We have more ability today to be removed from it, and yet at the same time, it's weighing on us maybe more than it ever did. You, you, just as there's so much resource today, it also is so easily 
we are so easily distracted. You can be distracted today probably more than ever before. I don't remember who the preacher was, but there was a turn-of-the-century preacher, a turn from the 1800s to 1900s, and he said, I caution you to not read too many novels and go to too many plays. Isn't that funny? They didn't have movies yet, no radio, no television, no iPads, iPhones, iMacs. Sorry, it wasn't an Apple commercial there. Um, We didn't have that. But he just said the things of this world, just even just too much time in it and with them. He wasn't saying don't be with them to reach them, but just too much of their stuff in you can take your heart away. And so I believe this is a pivotal time. I believe that the devil will try to distract you, try to keep you from your plan and your purpose and your call. He will do whatever it takes. And so we're living, though, in this world where he can do it through the same resources and and unlimited information that we can use for the Lord or he can use it. A little pop-up. I mean, I do it. I'm on BibleGateway.com, okay? And a little pop-up comes for something I'm into because Google, you know, is around your BibleGateway.com website, and Google puts up a little ad for something you've been looking at on Amazon. Who's clicked on that while you're reading the Bible? Is that just me? Am I the only one? Well, I was reading and said, oh, man, that's what I was looking for. And so we live in that time, but I believe he, you know, sometimes it's direct and sometimes it's subtle that the enemy will try to get you. He'll try to suck you into the system of first John two, that system of me, myself, and I, it's about our achievements. It's about us. And it's very easy to get distracted when Dawn and I were dating and, you know, I was working a lot. I was trying to go to college and, and we're dating, young dating. So you have no time, you have no sleep, right? And I remember driving home with my parents' old station wagon. I was just about to the house and I opened my eyes and we have, we're going up a hill and I was like in the other lane, just opened my eyes and pulled back over and I was like, whoa, you know, I just about made it home and thank God nothing happened. Well, just a few years later, we're married now, have our first son. And um, we had done a really long day of snowboarding, and then we had something to eat after. And like when you're out in the cold, and especially using your energy, you can really um, exert so much of yourself, more than you realize. So now you're dr- all of a sudden you're driving home, and you are so tired, but you got to get home. And so I thought I was fine, though, and I pulled up to a light, again, just not even a half mile from my house. I pulled up to a light. The light turns green. I'm driving. But I didn't even realize that I had been so memorized in my brain that I fell asleep and the light was in my subconscious. It wasn't real. I wake up and I'm literally the lines on this side of my car, like not a little bit over on this side. And there's a car coming towards me. Thank God it was a 35 mile. I don't know what I was doing, but they're doing 35 and it was no time to move. I jerked the wheel so hard that there was, a, there was a two-foot black mark to the right just whipping the wheel, and I creamed them, destroyed their car, completely totaled it, 
destroyed their car. Thank God nobody, the grace of God, no one got hurt. But we can so easily, I don't fall asleep while driving anymore. And I'm also, also very cautious. If I'm tired, I'll tell Dawn I'm tired. But we can so easily, you just think that you're going along and the devil all of a sudden, bam, he's got you sidetracked. He'll put you to sleep just like that spiritually. You think everything's fine and we start running on empty. All of a sudden we start running on empty and it's, we start running on low steam and it's very easy. He'll do different strategies, but I believe that what I want to talk about today, one of the strategies he'll use is is to try to get you to run on empty, try to get you to drive asleep, get you to drive tired. Because when you do, it's very easy just to, all of a sudden your eyes are closed, you're asleep, you're in the other lane, and death is literally in front of you. Thank you, Lord, that he had grace and mercy on me and the other five people in their car that day. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy again. Um, but I was thinking, you know, you know how I know that Jesus is real? I don't need to question it, but sometimes I play that advocate, you know, and you question. Because the devil tries so hard to keep you from him. He will try so hard to keep you from him. Do you know that as believers? Do you feel that? Like everything tries to keep you from him. Everything in your life. He's your answer and you know it. And it's like, well, I just got to do this first. I just got to do that. I got to do this. This is important. That's important. I'm getting there. Now, simultaneously, that the fact that I know that Jesus is real, why do I believe that the word is his word and that it's real? The same exact thing. The devil tries so hard to keep us out of the Bible. He'll try to, if he can't stop you from believing in Jesus, he'll try to get you to believe in a name, the name of Jesus. He'll try to, if you won't, if you won't budge, I'm going to believe in Jesus. What he'll try to do then is get you to do it half asleep. If he can't stop you from heading somewhere, from moving somewhere, he will try this is his strategy. This is what I want to talk about today. He will try. If he can't stop you from, this is where I'm headed. This is what I believe. He'll try to get you to do it half asleep. And what happens when you drive half asleep? Death is right there. He will, it's not immediate, but it's only a matter of time before you potentially kill yourself. And who, what are we? What is our life about? It's not just about us, but about us and the world around us. If he can get you asleep, you're not only not concerned about you, but I'm not concerned about those five people. If it's a spiritual metaphor that need Christ, and instead of me saving them, I'm killing them. And so I know, I know because it's so hard to get to the Word and to spend time in the Word, to spend time with Jesus. I know that I know that those are the two keys. Actually, it's one key together. I want to paint that picture, that He is the Word. But that when you say you believe in Jesus and you confess Him and you won't veer from that, that the Word and Jesus need to come together. Otherwise you are in a very dangerous place. I proposed the question last week, is it possible for a Christian to be a Christian without the Bible? 
is it possible? And we say, you know, it is possible because somebody in communist China, they have nothing. They have, you know, they have no Bible and, and, and Jesus, you know, somebody has told them about this and they accept it amazing. They, you know, it's a supernatural thing. It's not a book thing. It's not a, it's not a leather and pages, 1200 page thing that's happening in our life as Christians. It's a Jesus thing. But it is so dangerous. It's a supernatural thing that's happening for that person in that prison. And, and in fact, we were saying, Jeannie and I were talking a couple of weeks ago about this, how that they get a hold of one page and they devour it. They, you know, one page slips from prison cell to prison cell and they just eat it up because they know what they're believing because their faith is literally life and death, and that they know that this is the life they need. So I just want to hop right into it with our time here. Into I want to have you guys turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. The Bible is the key to your faith. It's the key. In fact, I've got a little thing for you to help you this week. I just want you to have this line going through your head. Take my word for it. A little wordplay. Take my word for it. That's what God is telling you. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your life is, whether it's a good life, the devil loves getting Christians caught in the good life, or, the, or a bad life. He loves getting people trapped in a place of no hope. Really, both avenues. The devil can use them to keep you from the, tr- the fullness of God, because um, our life is so easily distracted or our life can look so hopeless, but the same Jesus is there in both of those situations, and he is it. It is the word. So in either situation, you need to take his word for it to get through it. So Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive or living and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And Mariah, can you pull it up in the Amplified, please? It says in the Amplified, For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. This one verse, I want to camp on this verse for as many weeks as the Lord says. Hopefully not enough that Dawn would say again, you've spent too much time on that. But she did say that about one of our last series. (laughs) I said, I'm sorry, I didn't realize the Holy Spirit was sitting in the front row. From now on, I'll just check with you. But anyway, the word of God is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. I just want to camp 
There's so much in this verse. I want to camp just there at that semicolon today. Camp in that part right there. That It's alive and powerful. The Word of God is alive. Why is the Word alive? Firstly, we can turn to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1. Many of you have memorized this. In the beginning was the Word. The NLT says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. It was. It existed. The Word was with God, capital W. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Now it changes it to a he because the word's a capital W because the word that was with God in the beginning, verse 3, was Jesus Christ who God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through the word, except through Jesus. And you can look down at verse 4. The Word, who is Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. In verse 14, it says, So the Word became human, became flesh and blood. The Word of God became a person, became Jesus, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son is in the Word, in Jesus. So the Word is living. It's alive. Why? Because the Word is Jesus. Now, if anybody hasn't already realized, God, sometimes I'll say God's a weird dude. But actually, we're just weird. He's not weird. We just, we're, we think on different levels. Only in God, only God. God is the one God, but he's also three persons. God decided the best way to bring Jesus in the world was to make everybody's minds boggle and say, I'm going to put you, Jesus, inside of a woman's womb, supernaturally. God does things a little bit differently than we do. He's, he thinks a little bit differently than we think. So this is a little bit of a foreign concept to get. But God's not like us. His written word to those, to the people up till the time that Jesus walked the earth, the written word became a person. The prophets, Genesis through Malachi, all of that became a person, Jesus Christ. But it didn't just become a person. When the words were written, they were written because Jesus was already Jesus. He already existed. I know. Your mind is starting to spin. Instead of trying to just figure out, wow, I don't, you know, it's a little bit above me, a little bit beyond me, just know this, that the word, 
the word. I don't care if you hold it on your iPad, your iPhone, or in an actual physical book. I don't care if you listen to it. When the scriptures are read or read to you, it is Jesus. It's the life of Jesus in those words. And to avoid those words or to think they aren't necessary would be to discount who Jesus truly is. I proposed another question. Last week, I just kind of set some groundwork for this month. And one of the other questions I asked is, you say you believe in Jesus. Well, which Jesus do you believe in? Do you believe in the Jesus that we confess here? Or do you believe in the Jesus that the Mormon confesses? Do you believe in the Jesus that the Jehovah's Witness confesses? Do you believe in the Jesus that the Muslim confesses? They don't confess him as the son of God, but he's in their pages as a prophet. Which Jesus do you confess? And I see that there is a full-on assault against the word of God. There is an assault from the enemy against the word. In each of those, what we would call false religions that veered away. Even the Muslim religion, I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. It veered away from Christianity in 700 AD. It's not like they started side by side. Muhammad had a vision from an angel, which Paul warned against, don't do that. Even if an angel tells you something different, don't believe him. Muhammad said, I don't care what you say, Paul. He has a vision and rewrites the Bible. That's why if you go and you look at the Quran and the Bible, you're going to find David. You say, this is odd. You're going to find Moses. You're even going to find Jesus. But he rearranged it and redesigned it. And that assault on the word of God is still going on today. What, he, what the devil is doing with today's culture is if he can't get you into a, some sort of weird sect of Christianity, if he can't get you to become a Muslim, if he has to take, uh, accept the fact that you want to sit in a Christ-centered, Bible-believing church, then what he will try to do is get you to put as little bit of that Bible in you so that ultimately over time you will fall away just as these other sects of Christianity have fallen away. They didn't just wake up one day and say, Muhammad said, you know what? I just want to start a new religion. That's my goal in life. But when he questioned the word of God and started rewriting it, it's the same thing today. We, we, we have sermons with one scripture in them. One scripture. I'm not saying there's not power in one. I want to focus on one today. But I'm not going to paint a picture around this one scripture without giving you more scriptures to back up what I'm saying. And even though I'm going to use scripture, I still want you to go home and read them. For all you know, me and Mariah have a master plan and we actually edited these verses on the computer so that they look like the way I want them to look to tell you my point. Don't even believe me. I mean, I'd like you to. I hope that you trust me, but you need to get into the word. The devil will try to get you to even sit in a church every week, but never open up your word. But then we confess Jesus. We believe in Jesus, but he is the word. It would be like me telling you every week that I'm married to this woman named Dawn. But I never actually spend any time. Well, one hour a week on Sundays we get together. That's our special day. 
just like we were prisoners. I'm a prisoner, and she comes to visit me once a week. On Sunday, we have a special time. That's our time together, and that's it. And we go back to our life. But his word is himself. That is who he is. The word is Jesus. Jesus is the word. And even I was thinking how we could be praying for a solution. We could be praying for strength. We can pray to Jesus. And it would be like, have you ever heard that joke about how the guy's out at sea and he's dying, he's drowning. And this boat comes along and says, you know, they throw him a life raft. Nope, I prayed, God's going to save me. God's got me. And then a helicopter comes along, drops down the ladder. Nope, I prayed, the Lord's going to save me. And finally, after a series of events, the guy dies, goes to heaven. He says to Jesus, why didn't you save me? And he's like, I did. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. What did you want me to do? What more did you want me to give you? And I believe that if we are trying to be Christians, we want to confess Jesus and try to have a relationship with Jesus, but we don't read. And not just read because the Old Testament was the very thing that we're saying, the word that became life, the Jesus that came to life, it's not just reading because the Pharisees knew those scriptures better than I do. I mean, those, that's all they did. They had it memorized. But you have to look at that thing and believe that it's God, that it's his words, and let it become alive in you. You're not just trying to get through your reading for today. Let me just get through my reading because I'm doing a one-year Bible and I have to read it. I have to get through this time and then I'm done. I can move on with my day. You're looking to his word as if you're looking to Jesus himself. It is his life that you need. And so just a few things for the next few minutes that I want to paint a picture here. That The question is, without the Bible... Without his word, are we even alive at all? Are we alive? Now, I do believe. It's a, when I said yes to Jesus, as each one of you has in here, when you did, it was a supernatural thing that happened. It bypassed books. It bypassed your personality. It bypassed your mentality. It bypassed all those things, and something sparked in you where you just wanted to be, all of a sudden, you wanted to be with this God. Something just started happening in you supernaturally, and then the tag team of God doing something in you made you want to look more to Him, which then things began to open more up to you from him. The words start all of a sudden, what was a book before, a paperweight before, or even when I was in high school, what kids would roll joints in before because the pages were thin. All of a sudden, this thing became life. All of a sudden, I started looking at these pages as life. Something begins to happen. And so I was wondering this question, is there even life without it? And I thought, yes, it's Jesus that did it. But if Jesus is the word, if he is the word, that even though something supernatural happened through Jesus that I didn't find in a book, I found in him, but he is the book. The book is him. So if I want to keep on living, if I want to keep that 
relationship growing, keep the fire, start stoking that spark. It was just a spark that happened. How many people do you know that went down to an altar call, said yes to Jesus, and never walked into church ever again? So it's not just the spark, but it's a fanning into flames. It's a fanning that spark. It's not enough just to have a spark. It's not enough just to want Jesus. You can say, I want him, but until it becomes active, until it starts working in you, what have you really done? Now, I'm not going to argue with the religious that says, well, they're still saved. They're just on their journey. And, you know, that's between them and God. I'm not going to get into that argument. I don't know when someone is saved and when they're not. What I do know is that there is life in Jesus Christ, and I found him, and I do know that there is life in his word that started fanning that spark to grow into a relationship. That's what I know. That's all I can tell you. It's between God and that person of how much word, how little word, what can we get away with, what can we still do and not do. That's between you and God, but the word is clear if we start looking at it on a way that he does want us to live and a way that he doesn't. How do you know that unless you start looking at it? And why would he have taken the time to write it and preserve it if those things didn't matter? I'm kind of getting tired with the modern Christianity that says you're too sin conscious and not enough savior conscious. I'm absolutely Savior conscious. When you truly understand what Jesus has done in you and you know what grace has done in you, I just heard it on the radio the other day, you say, man, by grace, I've been saved. It should almost bring a tear to your eye. It should not be a pride thing. It says, I've been saved by grace. Don't judge me. I've been saved by grace. As soon as pride starts coming out of that person, I question I question that you truly had an encounter with grace if that's what's coming out of you. You might need to go back to that moment. And so I'm kind of getting tired with Christianity that I'm not going to, I'm not start pointing out particular people or denominations or any of those things. That's not my job. But it's a theme that I hear in modern Christianity that is uh, the bare minimum Christianity is that I had an encounter with Jesus once, and that's it. I punched my ticket, and, you know, whatever. That's between me and God. Don't judge me. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that if he took all that time to write all those words, and it's a big book about how to live, why would God take the time to do that if he didn't care? Why? If it's only done spiritually, because then people say, well, you don't need to. The law is written on our heart. Well, if that was true, then why would he need to write it on pages? He would have just said, it would have been a book of 1,200 pages, and every other verse would be, the law is written on my heart. He'll tell me what's right and wrong. I remember, you know, people, they get an arrogance when somebody goes to them. You know, it's a lot to give someone a word. And if someone just gives a word flippantly, Take it to the Lord very seriously. But when someone comes to you and says, listen, I don't even want to tell you this, but this is what I got. This is what the Lord's gave me. And you still go and you test it. You go see if it's God. When that comes, it takes a lot to do that. But I've heard, who's heard this line in arrogance in Christianity? God's got my number. God's got my number. 
If he wants to tell me something, he can come and tell me myself, himself. I think there's such arrogance and such pride. And meanwhile, that's like this word. We, we think we can trust. I'm getting ahead of myself because it's a few weeks out. I want to get to in this verse. It talks about the heart. But you think you can trust your own head and your, the words going through your head and your own. You can't trust you. I'm getting, again, we'll get to that. I'm going to spend a, week, uh, a whole service on that. But God wrote it down from all different people and all different voices. And, and, and yes, there's a repetitiveness to the word if you look from one book to the next because how many times are you like me that you need to hear something before you listen? I don't just memorize something the first time I see it. And I love the trapping that the devil would try to tell me because like, now I'm a preacher, right? This is a new thing for me. But now I'm a preacher, so I could get the lie, and I know. Again, I'm not pointing out who they are, because that's between them and God. But I know that some preachers, at some point, they just said, I don't need the Bible anymore, because I know it. Because we are the Bible. And I caution you strongly against those deceptive lines from the enemy. I don't believe that we can just trust the voices going through us. Yes, there is a Spirit of God that speaks to us. And again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll just preview some of the other weeks. But there is a language to the Word of God. And once you know the language, then the Holy Spirit can speak it to your spirit and you can trust it. But until you know the language of God... How can you possibly just listen to something you heard in your head? Because do you know that the, the modern child molesters, they say, I can't help it. It's the way I feel. It's what I thought I needed. The murderer will tell you that he heard a dog tell him to do something. Right? Remember that guy? It was like six. What's his name again? Son of Sam, right? You think you can just listen to voices out there and trust it? Trust your voice? Trust, don't even trust an angel that comes to you. Who has seen an angel and has spoken with an angel in this place? I don't want a show of hands. But if an angel comes to you, how do you test if it's right or wrong? You need some sort of compass. If you don't know which way north is, you ever say that, you ever heard the phrase, you're so messed up and you don't know which way is up? How do you know which way to go unless you have a gauge, a guide? Man, I'm preaching now. Does this make any sense? The word is, I'm not even, I'm trying to get something here. Went on a little tangent here. That's what the Lord wanted to say. I was thinking, I don't even watch the show, but the world is walking around like the walking dead. It's like the walking dead. They're zombies. And that's not us judging them. We're not, it's not the born again supremacy. It's not us judging them. <laughs> I didn't make that one up. 
Well, it is funny. It's not us judging them. It's just being awake. Your eyes are opened. You see clear, clearly. But they're doing like what John chapter, 1 John 2 says, just going about, how can I fulfill me? How can I get what I need? And I don't care what it takes to get there. And even there's like this moral compass in the world of what's right and wrong. I mean, they'll still judge the thief and the murderer, but then they have no problem pillaging somebody on the stock market. And again, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to start, I don't want to get in tangents to go down that road of what right and wrong is, but how do they decide? You just start, they just start deciding what is right and what is wrong and what I like and what I don't. And, and then as culture changes, and this is why we need to be careful. We need to push back as the church. We need to come back to the word of God because now it's starting to creep into the church and they're going to try to change the moral compass of the church. Tell me I'm wrong when there's a Bible called the Rainbow Bible. Tell me I'm wrong. That moral compass that just decides as culture changes that this is what we believe, this feels right, will creep in unless you are so anchored and so tied to the life. There is, you are dead. It says in John 10.10 that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all that you're going to get in the world is you're going to lose your stuff you're going to die. You're going to get destroyed if you live that way. It may take time. It might even take crossing over before you'll see that. But that's what this world will bring you. But Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that you may have life abundantly. There's abundant life. I paraphrase that. There's the scripture right here. My purpose, this is actually put it up there in the New King James, please. That's okay. It's fine. But he came to give us an abundant, satisfying life. There we go. He came to give us life. And I don't believe we can live without the word of God because it is his life. Can I have five minutes more of you guys? just want to get to this one more thing. Is that all right? All right. Man, there's so much. I told you I'm, I'm anchoring off of one verse, and I feel like there's so much in this. There was this, in the Old Testament, there was this concept that God was trying to get with the Israelites. The Bible hadn't even been written yet. And he was leading his people through Moses. Moses was meeting with God, was the only person ever to meet with him face to face. Was getting direct injection God into him and leading the people somewhere. Ultimately, then he did start scribing the law, which became Jesus Christ. The fullness of the law Jesus brought became that. He's like, I didn't come to abolish it. I am that fulfilled. Well, before that, there was, as they came out of Egypt and they came into the wilderness, God needed to feed them. But more than feed them, God could have fed them anyway. He could have brought them into this really nice pasture with all these awesome cows with extra fat tenderloins across their back. You know, streams filled with the best salmon 
They got guys smoking it along the river. God could have done that. But he brought them into the wilderness, into nothingness, barrenness. It's much like the picture of this world, but he taught them something. What Jesus, I want to read, will teach us as well. He brought them into nothingness. He didn't really bring them into it, actually. What he did was show them the barrenness, the desert of Egypt. Egypt was living for themselves. They were the most abundant, most, the richest, most powerful nation, uh, at least at that time, if not that ever was. And meanwhile, God pulls them from that, which really is a picture of the world, the excess, the ease, the comforts. They were in slavery. But meanwhile, they complained to God because they said, at least we got to eat cucumbers. I don't know why that one, you know, why they mentioned cucumbers. Maybe it's a translation thing. But their issue was, what they loved about the world was that everything was right there on hand. It was easy. They didn't have to do anything. We're a slave because we can't help it. They were in the system. You were a slave. There was no getting out of it. So if you're going to be, they enjoyed the, the product. At the end of the day, it was just like what they, is who they were. God removes them from the slavery. He brings them out of the world, brings them out of the world system and shows them how barren and dry and pointless it is, but not to leave them there. God doesn't do that to leave you. He did something supernatural. The Bible says that there was a supernatural dew that collected on the ground, the best way to describe it. And it would crystallize in the morning. And you could collect them and make a bread with it. And this bread was called manna in the Bible. And with this bread, they could eat and have life. And it would sustain them for a whole day. They would gather. And if they gathered more than they could eat that day, it would rot and disappear. They couldn't eat it again. It was a daily thing. And the Bible says in John chapter 6, we don't have time, so I'm just going to just kind of skim through this here, that Jesus said that that manna was a picture of himself. It was a picture in John chapter 6, verse 48. I'll just read it quickly. Yes, I am the bread of life. He called that manna. They said they were trying to get Jesus to show them a sign. The, the Pharisees, they were so stuck in their heads and stuck in religion. Here's Jesus right in front of them. And they're like, just give us something. At least Moses gave us bread from heaven. And he's saying, I am the bread from heaven. Now, again, I could spend a whole sermon on just this. So let me just paint the picture for you personally. Jesus is tell, tells us that he's the manna that the Israelites ate. He is. Which means Jesus is a daily Jesus. If he compares himself side by side with manna, let's just break this down. He's a daily Jesus. If you try to take me in tomorrow, it's not going to work. 
I'm here for you every day. Like clockwork. I mean, when the sun rose, it was there. In fact, when they questioned it, they questioned it and said, we're tired of this and we want meat. God sent them, you can read that story yourself, but he sent them some meat and it wasn't a good experience for the people. But when you accept that God has something for you, he will, the picture is that this world is, there is nothing. It is barren. It looks like it has so much. But in order to have its produce, you have to enslave yourself to their system. But God starts removing you from that. And to try to mix those two will never work. If you crave the cucumbers of Egypt, if you crave the things of the world, while God's trying to give you himself, you will always be in turmoil. But meanwhile, when you accept it, when you accept that Jesus, the word of God, is the bread of life, to, to close, it means each and every morning there is a life-sustaining substance that has been prepared for me, prepared for you. And if you will just gather it to yourself, you just collect what he's written for you today. You don't have to try to cram it all in. Isn't that interesting? You try to get the whole word in you today so that you can have a week off from God. It's not going to work. Going on vacation, God, so I got to get as much as I can. It's a daily thing. And if Jesus is the word, the word is Jesus, and if he compares himself to the manna, then to make that analogy, it's every day. It's not for tomorrow. You got to get to him again tomorrow. But if you trust it, Elijah ate that bread some years later, and after he ate it, and then he fell asleep because he had been so exhausted. He ate it. The Lord said, rise and eat it again. He ate it again. And the Bible says that he ran for 40 days and 40 nights without stopping. Now, again, you got to believe. If you don't believe the supernatural part of God, you're not going to believe the things I'm going I'm to tell you. But he's a supernatural God. He will provide for you. He will sustain for you. Even though the, the, there's barrenness, there's nothingness, he will provide for you. And it's enough it's enough to get you through today. And then when you come back to it tomorrow, it's enough to get you through it again. And he was trying to teach the Israelites this concept, which they never really got. So finally, Jesus is like, hello, I'm it. Come to me daily. And in order to go to Jesus daily, you have to go to his word. Does that make sense today? I could just keep going. You know that. You know that when I really get it in me. We just thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it proves itself. It talks of itself. It's alive of itself. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that you have prepared it. You preserved it. You printed it. You even made it digital for us, Lord, to make it easy so that we would be without excuse so that we could find you, Lord, each and every day. 
You are right there. You have written every part about you. You've written about how you love and what you do and what you don't like, how to live, how to treat others. It's all in there. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that we would just accept it once and for all, that the questioning of the Bible would end, the questioning of your word would end, that we would get a revelation that it is you and you are it. And we pray in Jesus' name that as we do, we thank you, Lord, that then as we pray during worship, Lord, that life would start coming out of us because there's so much of your life in us. In Jesus' name, amen.